Good to be back. Uh, it's good to be back. I was gone for a week, went out in the woods and uh, had Thanksgiving and, and uh, was a little bit sick and, and now I'm, I'm back here. So it's good to be here. Um, today I want to talk about um, one of my favorite passages that Paul has. Uh, it's at the beginning of, of Romans where he talks about how he is unashamed of the gospel. He's unashamed of the gospel. Um, and, and we're going to take a little bit of a different look at that passage than I think maybe we have in the past. Um, you know, there's a lot of social pressures that exist in our world today that push against Christianity, that push against us being uh, unashamed of our faith. There's a lot of social pressures in our world that tell us that we should not talk about our religion, not talk about our beliefs, not talk about our, our views. Uh, you know, the, the old rule of social interactions is don't talk about politics or religion. That's what will get you in trouble. But if you can avoid those things, you can always talk about the weather and sports, right? Uh, but you always got to be careful talking about politics and religion. Uh, you hear people in, in today say, I'm not interested in your judgmental Christianity. If you're going to tell me or anybody else that what we're doing is wrong, you just need to be quiet and mind your own business. 
the world doesn't like the sexual morality of the church. And to some extent, that's been true for many years. In the past, we lived in a world, you know, kind of the world I grew up in, uh, where there were a lot of people who would hear kind of the sexual morality of Christianity in the church and say, uh, that might be for you, but it's not for me. And so I'm just going to ignore you, or I'm going to say, you know, I may respect you for your views, but I, I'm going to do whatever I want. Today we live in a world that looks at the, the sexual morality of, of Christianity and traditional Christian values, and it says, not only do I disagree with your view of morality, I think that your views are immoral. I think that you're the bad person because of, of how you believe uh, people should live. And if you're going to criticize others, you're the problem. And so it puts Christianity often uh, on the defensive in the world. Uh, we live in a world where when it comes to reaching out to unchurched people, it used to be that when you wanted to go share the gospel with someone, you could go tell them, hey, have you heard the story about Jesus? And they might say, I've heard a little bit, or I don't know the Bible very much. And you could open the Bible and, and teach to them and preach to them and minister to them and study with them. Today, you go to someone and say, hey, do you know about Jesus? And they say, yeah, I chose to leave his church years ago. So many Americans today are formerly Christians who have chosen to leave uh, churches, who have chosen to leave a relationship with Jesus, sometimes because of things that happened in their life with Jesus, and sometimes because of things that happened in their life with his people, his followers and his disciples. And they say, if that's what his people are like, I'm okay with Jesus, but I don't want to be around his children, God's children today. And so the pressures against uh, Christian uh, pride, Christian uh, enthusiasm for our faith, our willingness to, to step up and, and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, it's tough. It's tough. And yet Paul says exactly that, and he does it in a way that seems to invite us into that place as well. And so often we are, are aware of all of these things, and, and the church hasn't helped itself out any. The church has made it even harder in the world by having financial and sexual scandals of all kinds, and, and even making some of those worse by trying to cover them up, uh, so that when the world says, if that's what being a follower of Jesus is like, I don't want any part of that. And, and so there are these real challenges that exist when it comes to being an unashamed Christian in the world today. There's things that are there that make it difficult. And so it becomes tempting to take the temperature of the world that we live in and choose to live a quiet life of small faith. It's easy to not offend other people by saying nothing. It's easier to keep our opinions to ourselves even when we think someone else might benefit from hearing it. Uh, it's more comfortable to nod along to other people's views on God rather than to offer them our own, which might be different than theirs. And so we end up developing evangelistic laryngitis. We just don't ever say anything to people about who God is or what he's up to. We don't tell people about all the things that Jesus has done for me and my life and my family. We just keep it to ourselves. We may live a life among our neighbors that's good and that's designed to show them a different kind of love and a different kind of service and a different kind of, uh, of, of way we treat people in hopes that someday they might come over and say, hey, I've noticed 
you're better than most of the other people around here. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you have integrity? Why do you show kindness? Why do you serve surprising people? And we can in that moment say, I am so glad you asked. And then tell them the reason for our faith and the reason we live the way that we live. And so it's good that we live in such a way, and it's biblical that we live in such a way, but if that's all we're doing and we're not telling people the good news and just hoping they ask, I think we're falling short of what God desires for us to do if we're to be living an unashamed life of following Jesus. Paul sets a different kind of standard. And I think it's easy for us to kind of think, well, yeah, but, but Paul was Paul. And he was, you know, a super preacher. And back then there were all of these kind of Jews and there were in, in the Gentiles and he's preaching. Uh, what social pressures could he have possibly faced compared to what we face today? One of his letters to the church in Corinth, Paul talks about some of the consequences, some social and some otherwise, that he went through in his, his commitment to sharing the gospel with the world. Paul, what did you have to go through? He says, let me tell you, I went to prison repeatedly. I've never done that. I was beaten and flogged on many occasions. I mean, I got spanked some as a child, but I don't think anything like what Paul was experiencing here, right? I've been exposed to near-death persecutions over and over. On five different occasions, the Jews beat him with 40 lashes minus one, the legal maximum that they were allowed to do. Three times he was beaten with rods, once pelted with stones, three times he was shipwrecked. And this, this next line that he has in here, we just skim over sometimes. He spent a night and day in the open sea. Have you ever thought about how good of a swimmer Paul was? And I don't know, he may have had some of the, the shipwreck that he's clinging to for this 24 hours that he's shipwrecked at sea. But he's, he's there a night and a day, shipwrecked, floating at sea. Uh, and, and how many of those hours do you think he spent thinking, God, I'm out here trying to tell people about your good news, your gospel. Can you send another boat by or something? Why can't the ships that I'm on ever get where they're going without crashing? It's almost like you don't want me to get there and tell the people the things that you've told me to go there and tell them. If I was Paul, I'd be getting pretty discouraged about hour 16 at sea. Not Paul, he keeps on preaching. He says, I'm constantly on the move. I'm at risk from bandits, from rivers, from Jews, from Gentiles. I'm in danger when I'm in the city. I'm in danger when I'm in the country. When I'm at sea, I'm at danger. Water keeps coming up, and you get the idea that Paul really doesn't like the rivers and the seas and the shipwrecks and the being out there. And he keeps being attacked by these forces. He says, I get attacked when I'm among false believers. 
He goes, I work and I work. I go without sleep trying to get the message out there. He says, I know what it's been like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be thirsty. I've been cold. I've been naked. And I won't quit preaching. I won't quit telling people God's good news. Now listen, sometimes it's uncomfortable for us today to tell people that we're unashamed about our faith. But it was worse for Paul. It was worse for Paul. And, and I think we need to remember that. Paul had so many excuses to not share the gospel. And yet, he kept sharing it over and over again. So towards the end of his life, when he's writing his letter to the Romans, and after he's experienced so many of these different things, he writes this. And this is our text for today. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I am unashamed. There is nothing about it that would keep him from sharing who Jesus is and what all he had done with anyone who was willing to listen. So he kept preaching Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And Paul himself says, listen, I go preach this message to the Jews and it's a stumbling block. They don't like it. It gets in the way. It challenges their understanding of God and what he's up to in the world. It's a stumbling block to them. But I just keep preaching it to them in hopes that they'll get over that stumbling block. And he says, when I go preach it to the Gentiles, they think it's foolishness. They think this idea of a crucified Messiah is insanity. But I keep preaching it to them. In the midst of it being a stumbling block to one group and foolishness to another, I won't be quiet. I remain unashamed. There's nothing that would keep him from telling people what Jesus had done. And so how do we do this today? How do we in our world with all of the social pressures that, that tell us that we should be embarrassed and quiet and passive and hide in our faith, that we should withdraw in our faith and make it a private matter, uh, how do we learn from what Paul did? How Paul had this overwhelming ability to stand courageously on the gospel. And I want to argue today that it doesn't start where we think it often should or th where we think it would. I think when we think about being unashamed for the gospel, you imagine the person uh, who in whatever form has a loudspeaker all the time. Uh, you don't see it as often as, as you used to, uh, but there were times that you could come up here to 23rd and Meridian and there'd be someone out there in a suit yelling the gospel at anyone that drove by, hoping that it would catch them. And they were practicing this principle, right, of being unashamed of the gospel, that they could preach it to people through the windows of their car. Um, I, will, I will tell you, I'm not a very good fisherman. 
Uh, on several occasions when I was younger, I would go uh, out fishing with my uncles. Uh, we, Kim and Dave used to live up on the St. Lawrence River, uh, the border between the United States and Canada, and we would wake up really early. And I would go because we would get donuts. And so I'd get the donuts and we'd get on the boat, I would eat the donuts, and then we would fish for a while. Uh, I caught very few fish. I lacked the patience. Uh, I wasn't really excited when they came up because then you had to mess with them. Uh, but on one occasion, we were doing what someone told me was called trolling. Uh, and so we're in the boat and we're going. I've got my, my fishing pole off the back and it's just trolling, trying to get a fish to bite this lure that's on there. And I get what I thought was a bite. And so I start reeling it in and reeling it in and reeling it in. Um, and I get it in and my lure has snagged a fish that was trying to just swim past it in the gills and I've caught it by the side. Okay, the preaching on the street corner thing is about as effective as just hoping your hook runs into a fish and catches it on accident. Right. Which I know enough about fishing to know that that's not the most effective form of doing it. But with God, all things are possible, I guess. So if that's your thing, have at it. But we think of of being not ashamed of the gospel as being the loud person, the bold person. The person who's willing to strike up a conversation anywhere and anytime about, about Jesus and they, they're loud and they're unapologetic and they're so confident. And yet, I think that none of us really comes to faith from a place of being loud and right all the time. I think when we really think about where the journey towards unashamed begins, I think we need to recognize that uh, the true journey to being unashamed requires us to first sit in the humbling discomfort of our weaknesses. I think it requires us to sit in the humbling discomfort of our things that we're ashamed of. Our past, our brokenness, our wounds. You see, none of us is a Christian because we're perfect people. We're Christians because we know that we are flawed people. We know that we need a Savior. We know that without Jesus, we're far from God and that we're separated from Him by all of the brokenness and woundings, the pride, the arrogance. And so when Paul says, I'm unashamed, if our takeaway from that is we need to get proud and arrogant in our faith and get loud about it at people, I think we're missing it. Because the gospel is that while I was broken, while I was an enemy of God, while I was a sinner, while I was in all of the junk of my past, that's when Jesus died for me on the cross to save me. Not because I'm good enough, because Jesus is good enough. And so the path to being unashamed begins with sitting in our own wounds, to sitting in our own weaknesses, our own things that bring us shame when we remember who we used to be. We're Christians because we're weak and admit that we require a Savior. We are uh, the kind of people who, who recognize that Christianity is not like other religions. There's other religions in the world that tell you if you can be devout enough, you can climb the spiritual ladder. 
that if you can control uh, your evil forces that, that are waging war on you enough and choose the good forces that are uh, choices for you enough, that you'll start to get farther up that ladder and closer to, to the divine. That your goodness, your obedience, your worth comes from within you. And if you can connect with the divine by climbing that spiritual ladder, you, you can be someone that achieves religious greatness. Christianity is not like that. Jesus says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him, through Jesus. And so when we're at the top of the ladder, it's not because we've done it, it's because we received it. Because Jesus took us there. That, that God honors us and lifts us up because we're in Jesus Christ. So Christianity is rooted in the idea that we are all broken, all sinners, all incapable of reaching God on our own without Jesus Christ. And yet we associate this idea of not having uh, any, not being ashamed of the gospel with standing up and saying, I'm going to tell you what I know and you don't. And there's a time, uh, there are times when that mindset can make us feel judgy to the world. I've got it right and you've got it wrong. You need to change and become more like me. And when that message comes across, we're doing unashamed wrong. Because that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel that we are proud of. That's not the gospel that we have confidence in. And Paul understood this. And so when he's writing his letter to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy how to be a good minister and evangelist, he begins early in the letter, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The beginning of becoming unashamed is being honest about the things we have shame about. And Paul gets this. Paul says, listen, I'm not going to come at you and tell you that you need to go tell people. Paul could have easily said, I'm the greatest preacher that's ever been. I've written more letters that are going to someday go in something you'll learn to call the New Testament than anybody else. I'm a big deal. People know me. When I show up in a city and I say, I'm Paul, uh, they listen. Paul doesn't say any of that. Paul says, here's what you need to know. I was one of the worst of the sinners. I came from, from misunderstanding who Jesus was. I came from persecuting his people. I held people's coats while Stephen, one of the earliest disciples and leaders of the church, was stoned to death. I'm a sinner, and yet God uses me. And yet God has forgiven me. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, I've been forgiven for my sins. And now God uses that past, that humiliating past, that painful past, the guilt and the shame of my past. God uses that for his kingdom. And so when I write to you, I don't write to you and say, look at me. I'm the one that's got it all figured out. I write to you and say, Here's something that needs to be accepted. Christ came in the world to save sinners like you 
But first he had to save an awful sinner like me. And I can tell you about it because I've been there. And I've felt how good it is to let Jesus make me whole. How good it is to let Jesus heal me up. How good it is to let Jesus transform me from the inside out. That the Holy Spirit has taken me from the worst of sinners to someone that can stand here today and tell you that you can be healed and made whole too. And I will never apologize for that truth. But it begins with sitting in the mess. Sometimes these trying to do this, trying to be honest about our past and honest about the the darknesses that even still battle within us, runs into a couple of challenges in the church and in Christianity and and kind of the culture of, of Christianity today. Because the church tends to do what the world often does. It honors success. It honors wealth. It honors power and influence. It honors the people that have it all together and all figured out. And we look at them and we go, man, you're someone that I want to be like because you've got, it, uh, you've got a perfect life. I want to be like you. Amen. And it's good to want to be like people who are walking ahead of you in their walk of faith. But it's bad if those people aren't willing to be humble and say, listen, you need to know I struggle too. You need to know that I'm not saved because of the size of my bank account. I'm saved because I was uh, dead in my sins till Jesus saved me. Those are the people we follow. But there's this desire to look like we've got it all figured out. And so sometimes we come to church and we want to make sure that our halo's on nice and shiny. Got your halo on, make sure it's not tilted. Last couple days, you may have been dealing with with grief and depression and struggle and addiction and sin. And maybe it's with pride and with with all the different things that wage war in our lives today. And your halo is not just not straight. It's on the other side of the room getting dusty. But you're not going to take the dusty thing to church. You got to clean it all up, shine it and put on a face when you go to go to church because you want to look like you've got it together. Listen, we need to be a a community of people that's willing to say, I've got struggles. I can't do any of this without Jesus. I need uh, you guys as the body of Christ to come alongside me to get me through this. I'm not a Christian because I'm better than non-Christians and the people that that are still sleeping right now and aren't going to go to church today. I'm not better than them. I'm just here because I'm worshiping the Savior who saved me from the mess. So sometimes being honest about that on our journey to being unashamed runs into that Christian desire to have that shiny halo fixed neatly and nicely above our heads when we're in the building. But we need to be honest about the fact that without Jesus, none of us, are saved. None of us are anything without him. And then there's this other side of of Christian culture that that does the flip side, right? Which is that if the good shiny people are the ones who should be up telling us what to do and we should be following and and emulating and and, and trying to do what they're doing, um, then the ones who are really struggling and suffering, they should probably try and hide. They should probably try and tuck away their challenges that they have. They should probably not let anyone know 
that they're one of the ones who is struggling with temptation, that they're one of the ones that's struggling in their marriage or, uh, or in their faith or in their confidence in Christ or any of the things that, that tend to come at us in our walks with Jesus. And there's always that little voice that says, don't let anyone know what you're struggling with. Don't let anyone know that you're that kind of person. And so when we're struggling with that, we tend to pull back and live quieter lives of faith. We tend to, to increase our doubt and, and put barriers between us and other Christians so they don't find out what I've got going on. And yet, so often it is through weaknesses that God does the greatest stuff. And Paul talks about this uh, in his letter to the Corinthians that we talked about earlier in 2 Corinthians. But he said to me, this is after Paul says that, that he's had a thorn in his side for some time, and he doesn't tell us what that thorn is. Uh, anyone that tells you they know what that thorn is is making it up. Don't listen to them. All right. Um, but he has a thorn. And he tells us that he's had this thorn, and he's had it for a long time. And whatever it is, he says, God, I want you to take this from me. I want you to remove this burden from me. And God says that he's not going to do it. And here's what God says as a response to that request from Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm Superman. Paul has this understanding that he doesn't have to be the biggest, best, most awesome, wonderful, faith-filled Christian man, preacher, teacher, gospel sharer for the gospel to be told in an effective way. In fact, God has taught him that the opposite is true. That when Paul says, I'm not enough, but Christ in me is everything, that people say, wow. Paul knows that when he says, I suffer and I battle against what I don't want to do and I'm tempted to do those things, but, but I'm going to tell you about it so that you know when you struggle that, that, that I do too. And that my struggles can give you the confidence to deal with yours. And my past can give you the peace of mind to put to rest the shame you have over your past. And that Paul, over and over again, being vulnerable and humble in his weaknesses and struggles and his inadequacies, realizes that what is weak in him reveals the power of Christ. And so he celebrates his weaknesses. And he puts them out there because he understands that they help other people to grow in their faith in Jesus and what Jesus is up to. Again, in his letter to Romans, he writes this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And so here's the thing. If you're going to be unashamed in how you share the gospel, 
part of what you have to be unashamed about is your brokenness, your difficulties, your challenges, because it was in the midst of all of that when you were powerless that Christ came in and died for you and saved you. And that's part of your story. That's part of what lets your message to an unbelieving world become effective and powerful. There's a Christian singer-songwriter uh, and speaker. He does a lot of motivational speaking and preaching. Uh, he's named Lecrae. And Lecrae tells this story of one time when he was a little boy. And he says, I was, I was at the grocery store in the parking lot, and there was a cart that had been left out there. And, and I turned it into uh, kind of my four-wheel all-terrain vehicle for a while. And he's, he's going all over this parking lot riding it like a scooter. Because I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I was having a great time. And I hit this bump. And my finger hits a, a rough spot on the shopping cart and slices it wide open. And he says, now I'm in this parking lot. I, I've been doing something I'm not supposed to do. And I'm bleeding and I'm scared and I don't know what to do. So I go into the store to try and find an, an adult to help him. And he walks in and the first department as he walks into this grocery store is the butcher. And he goes up and he's, he's like, I'm, I'm hurt. I don't know what to do. And the guy gives him this calm, reassuring voice. He says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And he says, but how do you know it's going to be okay? And the butcher holds up his hand. And when he does, he notices that the tip of one of his fingers was removed. as kind of a casualty of his occupation at one point. But the tip of that finger has healed. And he says, in that moment, I look at that man's deformed finger, and I was so comforted. Because I thought, if that much of his finger could be removed, and my injury is not as bad as his, he's okay today, I'm going to be okay too. And that's the, the beginning of our invitation into being unashamed. That that butcher doesn't have to be embarrassed that his hand doesn't look whole, he can hold it up and say, by my own wounding, by the things I've been through in my past, by, by the evidence that I have healed in the midst of that, my scars tell you the story of your future healing. You can have confidence that you'll heal too because I've been healed. And if that's true of, of a flesh wound, how much more true is it? When we go to people who are struggling with addiction and say, I used to be addicted and Christ set me free. When we go to people who have been through grief and loss and say, I've lost loved ones and God was present to me in my grief and comforted me. Let me walk with you. Going to people who say, I'm inadequate and I don't have the confidence to do the things that God needs me to do. And we say, I'm still inadequate. But I let God work in me and through me, and, and I'm doing incredible things, not because of my skill, but because of God's skill. I just have to be willing to let him use me. And they can go, man, if God's using you, maybe he can use me. And, and so over and over again, it's out of our willingness to admit our own powerlessness, our own woundedness, our own weaknesses, our own challenges that we learn our story. Without Jesus Christ, I am fill in the blank. And it's different for all of us. All of us were in a different pit when Jesus lifted us out. 
All of us had a different set of struggles and trials when Jesus came and said, I want to love you through this and make you whole. All of us were in a different darkness when we found the light. I used to be. But now, but now, because Jesus is in my life, I am what you are now. You're different. You're changed. You're transformed. Not because you did it, because Jesus did it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it's a gospel that we can be unashamed of, but it doesn't mean we're brash. It doesn't mean we're confrontational. It doesn't mean we're loud. It in fact means that we're starting from a place of sharing the things that humble us to show how Christ has lifted us up. When we come at the world today, and say, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Let me tell you what I know that you don't. Let me tell you how I can read the Bible, and if you'll just let me tell you all about it, you'll be convinced that I'm right, and you'll be like, man, I'm wrong, and you're right. And I'll be like, thank you. I've been trying to tell you all along. Wouldn't that feel good to be able to do that? I think it would. But I think we're going to have a more powerful witness in the world today. If we can become unashamed of the gospel, not by fighting people about it without fear or with great confidence, but instead being willing to say, I'm not ashamed of what Christ has done in my life. And I'm not afraid to tell you about what Christ can do in your life. And maybe that's what an unbelieving world might be willing to listen to. It's a faith that is rooted in a God who saves and a Messiah who works through the powerlessness and the weaknesses of his people who are willing to share it with others. And so Jesus tells a man formerly named Legion. He was called Legion because he was so full of demons and he would cut himself and he, would, uh, he lived among the tombs and he was so broken and lonely that, that his life could not possibly get any worse. And the demons tortured him so much so that the people would chain him and he would break the chains. And, and this is Legion's life until he meets Jesus. And he meets Jesus, and Jesus casts these demons out into the pigs, and the pigs rush into the sea. And then Legion is sitting there at Jesus' feet, calm and in his right mind. And we don't know his new name, but the man who once was named Legion says to Jesus, let me go with you and be your disciple. I want to learn from you. I want to know the things you know. I want to teach the things you teach. I want to see the things that, that you're going to do. And Jesus says, no, I've got something else I need you to do. I need you to go to the Decapolis, which means the ten cities. I want you to go to these ten cities, and I want you to tell them all that God has done for you. Legion wanted to learn, and Jesus says, no, you're ready to teach. Why, why was he ready to teach? Because he could say, I used to be all these things, but now through Jesus Christ, I am. And that was enough that Jesus says, you're ready to go and tell people. You're already ready to go share your faith. And in that moment, Legion then left Jesus and didn't become his disciple, but went and became his missionary. My challenge for you today is to spend time thinking about how God works in your weaknesses, how he has changed you from who you used to be to who you are today, how God's grown you up. 
that the Spirit has shaped you and molded you into something you didn't used to be so that you know the answer to the question, I used to be, but now through Jesus Christ, I am. And then ask yourself, who needs to know that? Because when you can fill in those blanks and answer that question and open your mouth, then you have done what Paul did, and you have become unashamed of the gospel, that you were lost and now you're found. If you're willing to sit in the dark is when you're often able to share with others the light. This morning, if you need to respond to this gospel, if you need to respond uh, to the invitation to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to be baptized into him so that you could be saved, come forward this morning as we stand and sing. I've been the way, the bright and shining way. I've been the glory.